Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Adjust Your Tracking and all the Playlist podcasts are sponsored by Mubi, a curated online cinema streaming, a selection of exceptional independent classic and award-winning films from around the globe. Mubi's film experts handpick every single film they show. Each day they present a new gem and you have one month to watch it. Visit mubi.com slash the playlist to start a special 30-day free trial. And it being a curated streaming service, Mubi always is changing up their new films. Every day there's something new on there. And this week in particular, there's uh, several highlights, uh, one of which is uh, the Ulrich Seidel Paradise Trilogy. There's Paradise Love, Hope, and Faith. All of these are worth seeing. Uh, They're sort of dementedly funny at times. Uh, but also quite uh, transgressive and messed up in their own right. Uh, my personal favorite Xavier Dolan film, uh, Lawrence Anyways, the near three-hour story uh, of a teacher going through a sex change uh, in the 80s is just complete with a, an amazing soundtrack. And it for me, it's the best example of Dolan's power as a filmmaker. Plenty of other choices there on Mubi, but uh, those are just a few highlights and things worth seeking out. And we thank Mubi, as always, for their support of this podcast and all the others at theplaylist.net. Now on with the show. Hello and welcome to Adjust Your Tracking. I'm Eric McClanahan. I'm Joe Von Oppen. Joe, uh, I, I did some listening this week. You know, you and I were actually just talking off mic. Uh, nobody listens to each other anymore, it seems like, these days. Yeah. Uh, we're all screaming at a louder volume to each other, but nobody's really listening, it seems. And uh, I, I tried to uh, I tried to just do a lot of listening this week, uh, as I, I always try to, to, to hear what others have to say. I think there's lots to be learned from that. And... Uh, you know, stumbled on to uh, Netflix, like I'm sure a lot of people did with these two new Dave Chappelle stand-up specials. And I got to say, it's good to have Dave Chappelle, like, truly back in, in the fold. Um, it felt good to, to... I watched both of them, like, right away on Tuesday when, when they were made available. And um, you watched them as well? I did. I did. Yeah. I watched them talk that shit. And, uh, you know, I listened intently. <laughs> um, yeah, man, there's just something about for me that he's always been probably my favorite, favorite comic. And uh, just with Chappelle's show, like meant a lot to me when I was in college. I just got obsessed with that show. And to me, it's really interesting to see how and maybe just maybe it's fitting that during the George W. Bush era of his presidency, we had Chappelle there to mock and satirize and comment on stuff that was going on and through you know for his own personal reasons and stuff he leaves that show and goes away and sort of uh walks away from the spotlight and we have barack obama as president and now we have donald trump in the office and it feels i don't know to me it feels like everything is not definitely not that everything is right in the world, but that uh, mm-hmm. Chappelle. No, not even close. <laughs> it's just that Chappelle being there to help guide me through is like to me it means a lot. And I um, not only does he just make me laugh 
uh, he, I, his perfect mix of like silly, um, uh, yeah, silly, just sort of like, uh, he'll, he'll go for the like lowest lowbrow humor, but also he's incredibly smart, like erudite guy. And I love just hearing what he has to say on, you know, issues of the time and things like that. He's, he's always been a real, uh, for me, like a guide, uh, on to how to, how to tackle, uh, so much complexity. So, um, yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, I, I, it's He's, just good to have him back. The like lowbrow <clears throat> moments, kind of like he takes you by surprise with them occasionally, just mm-hmm. because like it's so obvious. But he's able to sort of mix it with like a in in, in like with an insane intelligence and like a commentary that's like asking you to consider really sort of difficult, jagged things at times. Like through throughout his whole career, you know, he's had like these this ability to be like thought provoking while still just like shattering you with laughter. And Mm -hmm. I think like some of, some of the best in sort of difficult times, the, the best ways to cope is to sort of like, not like, I think oftentimes like comedy could be like an anesthetic and it can sort of numb you to, to the pain of being alert and aware of things that are sort of wrong in our culture. But I think like the best some of the best, most potent forms of it are the kind that get you to lower your guard so you can actually deal with it. You know, so you, mm-hmm. you laugh and your guard lowers so you can actually take these things in that seem sort of like impossible and you don't want to think about because it's too painful. And Dave Chappelle is sort of like he he sort of disables you with laughter and gets you to consider these like incredibly complicated things like the, the state that we've sort of always been in, in this country mired in what we're mired in, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's well put because I think in a lot of ways, uh, Netflix paid a hefty sum for, for both of these specials. And as far as I know, he's still supposed to make a new one that'll come later in the year. So we'll have a third Chappelle standup, which is very exciting. But I think, Beyond just Chappelle, Netflix is uh, putting out new stand-up specials. They're paying lots of money mm-hmm. to to get a lot of exciting comics back on there. They're, I think, in some ways, they're they they see that as obviously it's like um, it's a really like ma- like that's a it's a highly attractive uh, content. Uh, I hate to talk like that, but it's highly attractive content for a site like Netflix to have a bunch of stand-up because they're a perfect source for it. But yeah, I do hope yeah. that as someone personally, like I've really been watching a lot of standup more than normal the last few months. And I think you're right. There, There is a sort of numbing thing where you're like, oh, this just feels good to laugh. And like that could be enough. But it it really took to have Chappelle back in the world for me uh, to be like, yeah, there's more than just giggling as much as I love mm-hmm. to do that. I don't want to just forget. Um, I want to be engaged at the same time. And he... He does do that. Um, so, yeah, uh, Netflix is doing awesome stuff, getting all this stand up out there. But, yeah, uh, remember, people, we don't all we don't let's not all get numbed and just laugh ourselves into oblivion. You know? Yeah. He it, it, they're becoming like Netflix is becoming like the platform to sort of like put out stand up special after stand up special. And it's like the he's been gone for, he says, at the beginning of his like first special um, for 10 years, roughly, mm-hmm. like as in terms of like having a recorded output of what he's doing. Cause he's, he's been doing standup ever since he sort of left the Chappelle show and went on indefinite hiatus. Like he's been popping up here and there just like never 
never never sort of like slacking on that and that shows because he's like you know he's he's effortless when he's up there he's just like magnetic constantly but it's just like that buildup of having 10 years where he hasn't had a special out like it almost it's it's almost like each special because there's two of them and they're different and it's like each one of them is great in its own regard but it's almost like having just one would have been like maybe too much pressure to put on, you know, like on him in terms of like, and the pressure of his like impending comeback. So he's just like, well, here's two and not, not one of them doesn't have to be the one. Cause here's right. two that right. can only happen on a, a sort of provider like Netflix. Like you couldn't release theatrically two specials and expect people to sort of like, go one after the other to them, you know, like, cause standup movies used to be a thing that people went to the theater to see. Yeah. Mar- <laughs> what was like Martin Lawrence had one that I saw and I'm blanking on what was called run, tell that maybe run, tell that came yeah. later. Yeah. Um, I saw Eddie Murphy raw in the theater. Oh uh, shit. Way too young age. And <laughs> I looking up at my older brother to cue me when I needed to be responding. <laughs> Show me the way brother. Show me the way. Yeah. Is this is it, uh, these jokes about divorce? Can I laugh now? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Go ahead. It's 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 okay to laugh. <laughs> yeah, man. It's um, it, it's and that's the sort of thing where I I think Netflix is a almost a better solution than it, it's cool to think of going to like that's such a bygone era at this point of going to see stand up in a in a movie theater would be really it's it's still yeah. cool to think about but I think Netflix is a really great. Um, you know, as like what HBO has done for decades, you know, they were kind of the main mm-hmm. player for, for ha- like hosting a lot of that stuff to, to have it. Um, but uh, yeah, Netflix is a perfect home for, for a lot of that stuff. I mean, some of the other ones I've watched recently connected to Chappelle is that the Neil Brennan three mics special. It's so good. Oh, it's so good, man. And uh, he's got a fascinating story. He's been doing more interviews. He does a podcast too, but like, yeah, he was, he's been connected with Chappelle since well before Chappelle show, I think since half baked. Um, yeah. So yeah, his specials worth tracking down. I liked the new Mike Birbiglia one. And I, I'm not, I, I just already sort of like appreciated him, but not really been a huge fan, but um, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff out there. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Pat Oswald special talking for clapping. That uh, one's great. David Cross, make yeah. America again. Um, <laughs> There's a, uh, yeah, there's yeah, just, just dive in. The list goes on. Yeah. Well, uh, something that's not necessarily, uh, yeah, as, as not even close to being as easily accessible as, as Netflix, uh, uh, is the, what is it? Is it the new edition story, Joe? Yeah. I, um, I had heard rumblings about, uh, this, this special that was going to be on, on BT called the new the new edition story telling the saga of the group new edition who formed in the late seventies gained popularity throughout the eighties and then eventually just sort of like let all of their members go on to success in their solo endeavors before coming back together. So they had like a long sort of storied history and like it's, it's up my alley, you know, it's just like, that's, that's the type of music I like. That's the type of era I want to see sort of like pinpointed and like with, with, with stunning accuracy. And I just, I didn't really have any idea like that it was good. And then I had something like jarred my memory about it. Like, Oh, that happened. I wonder if that was any good. <laughs> Tracked it down. Uh, you can watch the first part, which is roughly an hour and 20 minutes. Each part sort of amounts to that. Mm-hmm. with a total running time of four hours and the it's 
like I was so stunned right away at the the level of quality, the cast, the sort of the direction, the sort of like sweeping quality of it, the sort of emotional intensity of everybody in it, the the humor, just like everything. It was just like this cocktail of like what I what I love and sort of losing myself in a in a story like this. And I was just like, wait, wait, how, what, how, did, how is this that it's been out for a month and a half, almost two months now, and n- no one I know has watched it or mentioned it? Because it's like, to me, it was that unmistakable, undeniable quality that was just like, usually when something is this good, you hear about it. You wind up sort of like, oh, but you have to see this. And that's sort of hit on enough times that eventually you're just like, fine, fuck, I'll watch it, okay? And so <laughs> this was like, to me, that good that like, I didn't understand how no one I knew had seen it and then talked about it. And so I'm this, it's not available, um, on any streaming service as of yet. It should be short. I don't know which one we'll let you know as soon as it comes out. But, um, yeah, this is like, it's one of the best things I've seen in a very long time. And nice. It makes me like, it was like, if I had a choice to just to rent a theater for the night, I would <laughs> find a way to just watch this on the big screen because it's like, it's that sort of like qual that sweeping quality that I could just easily, like, I was just looking around at my empty apartment, like what? this, this is that good. This is incredible. What the fuck? <laughs> And like, <laughs> and like pestering people to watch it, TV specials, biopics, like this is, you know, I feel like Straight Outta Compton was like a rarity mm-hmm. uh, in terms of like it making the impact that it did. Um, but like it almost bests that because it's like every gripe I had about that movie that was eventually just sort of like washed away by nostalgia and my fondness for the the subject matter. Like it, this, this movie improves upon mm-hmm. drastically. Like it takes like no, nothing is a footnote. Everything has sort of taken the time to naturally develop. So I'm, I'm going to champion this movie probably for, I call it a movie. It's a, it's a TV special, but what? like it's got, it's got movie quality to it. So right. I will champion this. And I will let you know as soon as it's available to stream. Yeah. And when it is, maybe we do a proper review because I'm sold. And frankly, call it a movie if you want. I mean, we 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 took our hiatus over the last few months and we never did a top 10 episode. But uh, for for 2016, but the OJ Made in America documentary, there was still a debate whether that's a movie or a TV show. Like to me, that was that was in my top. Like that was like my number four favorite movie from last year. It's, I guess like as much as you and I champion theatrical experiences, like that's our main, you know, that's our main jam, our thing that we like get most excited about. We try to push people towards, but frankly, we can't stop the flood of, of entertainment, the way it's evolving and changing. And I like to, yeah. And, and in the spirit of just trying to stay optimistic for, Hey, I just want to see good stuff. And, Right. It sounds like this was the best vehicle to tell this story. And you're right. Like straight out of Compton, we had our gripes about it, but like that, that as a movie, it, it works for the most part it, as mm-hmm. a cinematic experience. It really did. But we did. I remember us both thinking like, man, it would have been better served if this was like a 10 hour miniseries where they could really get into it. And I think that's the real, I don't know. It's probably overdramatic to say like the dilemma of like f- creators, like, 
uh, of this time is like yeah. choosing the right medium, right? Like uh, short film, feature length, theatrical thing, or are you going to go for a TV show or a miniseries? Because everything is getting so elastic and stretching and evolving that it's like you got to choose the right uh, the right medium for your story. I think because film is is so like threatened in terms of like it costing so much money and therefore it having to sort of like guarantee that it make its money back. It's like a lot of times the sort of the big movies are taking a lot less chances. And so they're becoming, you know, relatively homogenized mm-hmm. and there's like an inescapable sameness to everything. And so when you get the hit of something kind of like original, a lot of times it's not coming in the form of like motion pictures. A lot of times you're getting it from TV, the hit you would usually get from like a new sort of like edgy film that you would see in the theater. Yeah. You're getting from like something on television. And sometimes, you know, like television will like outstay its welcome. You get this sort of hit and then you're just like, well, after season of this. So it's like this, this weird, this, this weird limbo where you're just like, where, where is this story best served? Mm-hmm. And I know that like the story of new edition was like originally I think sold 10 years ago and they're like well we need like more than two hours to tell this story appropriately and so like that that's why television became the go-to medium to tell this specific story because like you're not gonna like I wish people would go see a four-hour movie this good (laughs) like in the theater I'm just not seeing that happening you know like so so you, you would have to condense it and like that becoming so narrow in terms of like what movies play in the theater are like is is the reason why you have to get less hidebound and less strict about what is and isn't seen as like a film, you know, mm-hmm. like and mm-hmm. so what what qualifies things for the Oscars, I think, is having to get like a little bit elastic, too, because like. Or maybe not, because I think the the Made in America, the OJ story um, did qualify itself by playing in theaters. It did. Yeah. Brave people sat through, you know, multiple <laughs> hours of it in one sitting and therefore qualified itself to be, uh, a contender for best documentary. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But and- like that's, that's becoming so strict. Like what, what is and isn't, you know, and, and as things are indefinitely changing. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's just interesting how, we're still strictly abiding by what is and isn't a movie when like things are shifting and mutating so drastically that we have to start, you know, making allowances and start, you know, broadening our minds on what, what is and isn't a movie. You know? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that makes me actually much more okay and excited about, Hey, having access to a lot of this stuff at home via all these continually uh, new streaming services that like, there's just so much out there that there's like, it warrants all these companies that want to like throw their hat in that ring. Like mm-hmm. it's exciting to know that I could watch an awesome four hour movie version or, you know, mini series of the new edition story, a, a group that like certainly familiar with, but um, I certainly don't have the fandom or the, the memories that you do, but like, nonetheless, I want to just see great visual stories. So sounds yeah. awesome to me. Um, yeah. And- and having like a whole new set of actors that you're not familiar with. Cause that's another thing is like, yeah. that was, uh, one of the strengths of straight out of Compton as well was that like you had unknowns with the exception of Paul Giamatti, you had like a whole new cast of people that you, that are now like 
they're most likely going to be stars because of it. And so, mm-hmm. like, you have a whole new cast with this movie that, like, you're not able to sort of, like, bank on personalities in order to sell a movie. And they can take the chance on TV because it's just like, all right, we're breaking all these new actors. And it's like, that's such a discovery, too. Yeah, that's the kind of stuff that does, like, people talk about TV being where, like, taking the mantle of like what independent film was doing for, for so long where you would get introduced and make stars of certain actors. I mean, the main review or the main film we're going to talk about later in this episode, Transpotting 2. I mean, let's look at the first one that made Ewan McGregor a star. That was an independent movie. So yeah, it's, it's happening much more on, on TV these days. And that's, that is another super exciting element uh, to, to give like, let's find, there's clearly a lot of great actors out there yet to be discovered. So it's good that there's a, a a vehicle out there for them. Well, I mean, speaking of actresses, mm. actors, actresses we like, uh, Alice Lowe of the the beloved Sightseers, a movie that you and I both loved, Ben Wheatley's film from uh, three or four years ago. Yeah, so great. Um, she has her directorial debut. Um, it premiered on Shutter last last friday another streaming service that you're you're welcome to try out and get a free trial we're not sponsored by shutter but you know (laughs) but i believe in in spirit in that like you know a horror movie curated streaming service sounds awesome to me yeah yeah i mean curation is something that's like anytime a sort of a streaming service is like specifically curated, it's just like, Oh, this is worth looking at. Even if I don't line up with the person's taste, at least it's not some sort of like weird algorithm of like, yeah, we got part three of this franchise and that's all we have available in uh, no movies prior to 1970. Huh? Oh, that sucks. Okay. Um, but yeah, so, uh, her, her film was picked up by shutter after sort of making the festival rounds last year and it's called Prevenge and it's a, um, it's a, it's a cocktail of a movie. Like it's not really easily identifiable as any one thing. Like it's not a sort of traditional horror movie, even though it has horror elements, it's not even comfortably a dark comedy, even though it has dark comedic elements. Mm -hmm. And I think like it's a, it's a strong choice. And I think that like, she she was um the was she one of the writers uh, yeah she was one of the writers of Sightseers yeah her and Steve Orem the co-star of the movie they wrote that Ben Wheatley directed it which is pretty rare because Wheatley tends to write his own movies with uh, his his wife as his co-writer usually so yeah yeah so that sense of that movie was like it felt like brutally dark but like this is even like deeper plunge into darkness and like. It's a, it's a bold vision, especially considering that she was like, it's it's about a woman receiving what she understands to be murderous messages from her unborn child, and um, she was actually pregnant with her you know child to be at the time of the filming. So she's like, imagine like your your first baby you're having, and like this is the story that you're choosing to tell. You go on a killing spree while getting sort of messages from this fetus. And, uh, and like, I think what there, there's like, it's, it, like to, it's such a striking movie. And I, I don't think it like necessarily synergizes into a wholly satisfying experience all the way through. Mm-hmm. But I think it's like, it's, it's definitely worth checking out, especially if you sort of lean dark and sinister. Cause it like, 
I think in the sort of murky, unresolved, like it's not cleanly, darkly comedic the way Sightseers is. Even though like Sightseers bummed out the crowded theater we saw it with, like, <laughs> he was laughing like pretty hysterically through the screening. But it, no one else seemed to know what to do with that movie. Right. That movie seems like confidently a black comedy compared to this one, which sort of like will will take beats of super dark comedy slow all the way down for something that's just like really uncomfortable. Like mm-hmm. they're just scenes of like violence and scenes of like, uh, grief and just like it, that, that'll just like, it'll come to a, it's just infinitely more interesting to watch. Even if I don't think it, it adds up to something that's like completely satisfying. Mm-hmm. I still want to see someone as smart and capable as Alice Lowe work these things out on screen. You know? Yeah, it's a good way to put it. I I got the sense as I was watching this movie, like man, because it, it was clear, like by the like early in the film, you're like, oh, she's really pregnant. Like I, I didn't even like look it up or anything. It's like she's <laughs> definitely pregnant, and like yeah, what's going on in the in her creative, uh, in her mind as she <laughs> conjures this movie up? Like it feels like she's expunging all this stuff from her, like just whatever was going on in her head. And right. the interesting thing uh, when we when I watched I watched it with my girlfriend last night is she found much more uh, in it that like she really not relate to she hasn't she hasn't been pregnant but uh, just she she thought that there was a, she found a lot more going on in it than me I personally just thought like oh once the movie sort of gets into its rhythm early on where she's essentially stalking a group of characters that becomes pretty clear early on like why she's looking for them and and uh hunting them down is i sort of settled into like okay i'm i'm enjoying this enough uh but is this it and it kind of is like i I am with you like it doesn't i don't know if i hate to say that this movie needed a twist or reveal at the end to sort of make it all come together but i felt like it was lacking something in the end and then the movie i'm just sort of like okay it ends and me and my girlfriend talked about it. Like I thought we'd just go to bed after that. And we talked about it for like a half an hour because she had all these things come up about how, um, like this is a, in a way, a movie for someone like, uh, the pressures that come for a woman who's pregnant. And in this case, she's a single, she's going to be a single mother. And, uh, the whole idea that she's stalking a really stock group of mostly, uh, it's not all men, but sort of uh, douchebag archetypes uh, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways uh, where like she, it, it deals with the idea of like, okay, if you're like, re- you're in the reality of like, I'm putting a child out in this world and these are all the people that I see existing in it. Like how uh, frightening and uh, upsetting that might be for a pregnant person. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so that was really fascinating to me, but ultimately, yeah, I don't know the rhythms of the movie as it settles into it. Like I, I was I kind of wanted more, but as a little, like a little weird, uh, movie, that's like a total genre mashup. Like there's, there's a lot to recommend about this movie and it's certainly worth checking out as, um, if you subscribe to shutter, I mean, I, if you're in LA or New York, it might be in a theater. It's probably in a theater in LA right now, isn't it? Yeah. It's playing at the Cine family this week. I'll bless them for doing that. That's good. <laughs> They're like the only places, you know, New York and L.A. are the only places that really would have a theater, enough theaters and the spaces to, like, give an opportunity to a movie like this. Because these, mm-hmm. yeah, these movies just don't have theatrical homes anymore. 
And okay, good. Streaming stuff, Shutter, they pick up they pick up the pieces and help out with a movie like this, but um you know, it, it's a weird time uh, as we I feel like we say a lot, but uh I'm I'm glad that there's a home for this movie. Yeah. Well, I think it- I wonder week to week because it's just like oh we're kind of touching on this subject again, but it's like <laughs> this does feel like a transitional period, you know, by and large for like you know pop culture for how we experience what we're experiencing as like pop culture and film and entertainment as a whole, and so like as it's shifting, like it does sort of need a sort of constantly updating commentary about it. And it's becoming like a foregone conclusion that like, oh, yeah, you wouldn't see a movie like this in the theater, even though, you know, like you it may benefit like you and I both watched it. You watch it with your girlfriend. I watched it with my cat. Um, and, you know, like that was it's kind of an isolated ex- experience. And like this movie probably in the sort of unresolved kind of uncomfortably dark moments probably would benefit from seeing it in a crowd of people the way, you know, we love seeing it in a crowd of the the way we love seeing sightseers in a room full of confused people. (laughs) Totally. Um, well, if, if we want to pivot to, uh, to our sort of main review. Mm -hmm. Hello, Mark. Simon. So what you been up to? For 20 years. I've been in Amsterdam. Nice. All right. What else? Married? Aye. Nice. Dutch woman. Kids? Two. Boys or girls? One of each. (sighs) We mark, eh? That is a chip off the old block. James, actually. And Laura. How about you? I have a son. He's in London with his whore mother. See him? Pretty regular. Currently once every ten years. A movie like Trainspotting 2, um, it's, it's almost like about the sort of growing pains of not knowing where you're supposed to be. <laughs> and so like it fits that like in this pop cultural moment that a movie following up what was like a huge zeitgeist shift, mm-hmm. you know, uh, 20 years ago when the original Trainspotting came out. Now it's like a movie that's like echoing it and sort of carrying on its legacy fittingly doesn't really have a place anymore. <laughs> like this, this is a movie that uh, I think played what Sundance. Mm-hmm. No, no, I don't think it did. I think it opened in London like a month ago. Okay. Um, well, I think it. I think it popped up as like a surprise screening, maybe at South by Southwest or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you, I remember getting like early festival rumblings that it was like, "This is really good. Like, this is this is the sequel that you want." As you mentioned, reading in a review um, <laughs> while thinking about the movie, but it's like it. It doesn't like for now. Okay, let's let me backpedal. <laughs> this is um. This is not. Transponding One in 1996 was not Danny Boyle's first movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was Shallow Grave. But, like, it was an announcement of a visionary filmmaker. And it was so momentous and so driven and so hypercharged. 
And like the similar to what we were talking about with like the the TV movie that I watched, the new edition story, the sense of discovery with the cast and the original train spotting. Yeah. Everybody. Not just not just Ewan McGregor, but Ewan Bremer, Johnny Lee Miller, Robert Carlyle, just like the sense Kelly of Kelly McDonald? Yeah, Kelly McDonald. Incredible mm-hmm. in that movie. Mm-hmm. And like every time I go back, I'm like, look at her, she's so little. <laughs> she's so great. <laughs> And like the the music in it, like everything about it was just like alive. And like so to follow it up 20 years later, like you could almost say that any flaw of the movie irritatingly is by design. That's mm. the point. Like it sure, of course, it's not as sure footed and confident and full of like swagger and vitriol as the original because the original was about youth. And this is about getting older and not being sure of your place in the world anymore. And it's just like, I feel like there was a way to, to like, to attack that, that was more capably handled, that mm-hmm. was just wasn't done in this movie. And so like, if that was the point, was that like, yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not a, a completely engrossing movie. It's a little wonky and it doesn't really sort of add up. And like, you're just not sure of its place in the world anymore. It's just like. I don't know that that like that's a measurement of its effectiveness. You know what I mean? Cause yeah. it seems more like a flaw than anything else. It's almost like retroactive, positive comments on the movie. Well, like, no, yeah. it's, it's like that whole thing. Well, that's the point. And you know, fuck your fuck point. point. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. Such an interesting example. Uh, I, for one, I got to admit, it, it's not a big deal, but the, calling it T2 transpotting, I, I don't, it just feels so wrong. It's, <laughs> it's like taking the piss out of something that like, I don't know, maybe I took the first one too seriously, which is a blazingly entertaining, super funny. It's, it's a great example of that boom in the nineties that happened um, with filmmakers like Danny Boyle, Quentin Tarantino, Paul Thomas Anderson, where they like, artistic minded filmmakers, but they also want to make entertainment. Yeah. And you had this perfect, like it's, it basically created my specific taste in movies that I love. Like I love movies that can ride both those lines, you know, they can be arty, but also just be, they want to entertain you. That's all great. But, um, yeah, there's where to start with train spotting too. I, I was with it as this movie was starting, you know, and like moment, What's that? The opening moment, like the opening sort of like montage you were with it. I was with it. Yeah. And I, I was easing into the movie, but really what, what wore me down in this movie is, uh, Danny Boyle's insistence on just feeling every shot had to be a Dutch angle or a freeze frame or a, it's his over caffeinated style. Like it's like he had too too many coffees before they edited this movie or something like that where yeah it feels so just overdone like pay attention to me like me like me like me but it i think a lot of it is just a mask for a pretty i don't know half-assed script in my opinion i think if you really look at the storytelling in this movie there's a lot of things that are things come up and that don't really seem to be addressed to bring up Kelly McDonald again, I, I honestly was like, why did she even appear in this movie? Frankly, like I love yeah, seeing her. It was, it really does feel like yeah. an afterthought because she gets one scene and the reason she's there is not really anything that becomes a major point in the movie. It's just sort of a, it's like a 10 minute side trip to get us back in d- just to fill time essentially. And, um, 
but the main one of the main issues script wise for me that kind of um, really irked me by the end of the movie is a lot of this movie is built on um, the idea that all these guys haven't forgotten that you know me and McGregor's character Renton he you know he screwed them over at the end of Train Spotting. And there's a sad reality that the movie definitely wants to address, but I don't think it does it very well that like Begbie, the Robert Kyle, um, Robert Kyle character and the Johnny Lee Miller character, like they really haven't like let it go. And yeah, you'd like to think there'd be some evolution in these characters, but I guess, okay, that's the point. Right. But, uh, so a lot of this movie's plot is driven on Begbie, especially wants to get revenge on, on Renton. And, uh, I honestly couldn't help thinking like, so Begbie's in prison in the beginning of this movie, which also one of my favorite moments in this movie is how he gets out of prison. Uh, the way, uh, the way it's all done. Like he has a guy, uh, attack him. Basically. It's just an incredibly visceral moment of violence that yeah. got a great reaction out of the small crowd, uh, that I was in, in the theater. Um, I'm liking all that stuff, but then it's like, hold on. So Begbie just happens to escape prison right when, Renton happens to be coming back 20 years later, like conveniences like that started to kind of like, it seemed to me like, Oh, they don't really have anything else. It's just, that's just the coincidence that happened to get the movie going. And then after, then as it goes on the man, the fucking style of this movie really just wore me down. And I thought it just got progressively sillier and, um, where they take certain characters, you know, like uh, Spud's character, as much as as much as I love Ewan Bremer in these movies, uh, mm-hmm. he's he's so adorable. You're rooting for him. I think like Danny Boyle and John Hodges, the scriptwriter, like I think they were rooting for him so much that they, I just kind of found it laughable and bullshit. What they, what you know, the the arc of the movie. Yeah, it's it's so sentimental to the point of like kind of betraying the spirit of the original, you yeah. know, like the, the, the original train spotting is so dark and like bleak in its outlook that it finds heart in these like really unconventional moments. But by and large, like it avoids a sense that like this one sort of buys into and like maybe again, maybe that's, that's the point that's by design because as you get older, you, you start to want to soften up a little bit more, but it just like, it felt like there were sections kind of similar to prevenge where it would like, it would really take off and it would really like sort of Mm -hmm. everything would kind of synergize where like the action in the movie justified the style that was sort of like overdone in the rest of the film and it would really take on a life of its own. And like the, as much as like there were sections in the beginning that worked like the prison break sequence and just like certain images, like uh, when Spud tries to kill himself, like, oh, that's a, actually so good. A, effective. Yeah. It's like, it's a, it's a really stunning sequence and gives you like a visual that's like kind of eye poppingly grotesque. And you're just like, wow, this is okay. This is, this is where it like takes on a life of its own. And dare I say the like uh, the gross out gag at the end of that sequence might even top the Spud shitting the bed in the first movie. You know, like there's there's a real payoff to True. that scene. Yeah, those moments that the the first film like just never it had so much to pack in, and maybe that's that's another byproduct of like being young and like everything feels so important. But it was just like when the movie, when this film in particular, T2, uh, Transponding 2 Judgment Day, would really <laughs> sort of take off and sort of gain a momentum. You felt like, OK, this is like 
the movie doesn't have to be about the thrust and sure-footedness of youth anymore, but it can find a sort of narrative thrust that suits getting older that it's just not doing, you mm-hmm. know, like, and there were sections, kinetic sections in the movie where the, the drama would sort of line up with the stock, like the scene where it's a, it's a beautiful sequence that it's just like, it's probably like five to 10 minutes long where Renton and Begbie finally discover each other, like <sighs> side by side in bathroom stalls. Yeah. And that like the sense of like escalation is seen in the performance in the sort of steadiness of the camera work and it all sort of lines up and you're like Danny Boyle is a fucking good director yep. like when he wants to be mm-hmm. he just needed like this needed to have a purpose that served it even if its purpose was purposelessness you know <laughs> what i mean like as mm-hmm. getting older and not knowing what the fuck you're doing with your life and like another thing that like really kind of threw me like instantly cuz i love the opening how it mirrors the opening of the original with mm-hmm. like the feet hitting the pavement and then the the sort of like thrust of the that Iggy Pop song lust mm-hmm. lust for life and it's just like that's unmistakable that's iconic that's a legendary moment in a movie that really carved out its space in 1996 like holy shit this movie is like right out the gates literally yeah and so it's 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 kind of mimicked pathetically in the second one where it's like running shoes, hitting a treadmill. So it's just like, Oh yeah, this is like, this is how you keep going when you get older. And so I was with it, but a huge part of the character of the first one is the narration is the yeah. narration of Mark played by Ewan McGregor. And that's just gone. And if like that was, a choice that was deliberate. I don't think it was a very strong choice. Like mm-hmm. the, the sort of narration is kind of handed over to spud, but that <laughs> needed to be from the get go. Cause like from the beginning on, you're not sure what is happening in the movie. You're just like, huh? Like, I don't, what, what, where, whose perspective is this from? Mm-hmm. And like, that was such a strong part of the identity of the original that it needed to it needed an equally strong choice and the absence of a narrator didn't feel like a strong choice to me, especially when a bit of exposition is handed over to a voiceover by Ewan McGregor midway through the movie, just to clear up what's happening. <laughs> okay. If they're going to like do that, then why didn't they have him narrate the entire, film? right? You know, it's, it's really, there, there are a lot of puzzling moments for me like that too, throughout the movie where I'm like, Oh, it, it, there's so many callbacks. So man, there's a lot of fan service in this movie. You know, yeah, yeah. they want to like tease out that Iggy pop song. They, they want to show you a, a new remix of the born slippery underworld song that, that was also iconic at the end of train spotting one. Yep. Um, the, oh my God, dude, I, I got to say the lowest moment for me is either the use of Snapchat filters on the camera at, in a sequence where they're partying mm-hmm. only to be not bested, worsted by the new take on the choose life speech. Oh man. In this movie where like it just goes on and on and it, it felt so obvious, you know, the things that he brings up in that, the, this in, in T2, the, the new choose life, uh, montage or whatever that, oh, man, it's really when I started shaking my head in my hands and just being like, Oh no, man, I'm like, I'm starting to hate this movie a little bit. And, mm-hmm. and I also found by the end, this movie goes off the rails in a way, not unlike mm-hmm. sunshine, you know, like where, uh, it becomes sort of a, 
not really, but sort of a, 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 a monster in a house stalking someone like horror yeah. movie. Yeah. Yeah. And I just thought, man, if that's, that's where they're bringing this all to, like, it just felt like, is that, that I'm with it on paper of this movie trying to be a, a different sequel to really show what these characters would be like 20 years later and deal with that and not just trying to relive it, but it's so contradicted often by the fan service elements and the fact that it just goes off the rails at the end. And I'll be honest, man. Uh, I remember you, you, you weren't a big fan of trance, the, the Danny boy movie he made before Steve jobs. No. Um, I liked that movie quite a bit. And I think it's the closest comparison for me with T2 in that, Yet I still like Trance so much better because Trance, like, I feel like they he knew what that movie was. He had a better handle on the material than with yeah. t- with Transponding because there's a similar sort of um like thrust at the end and like a real like over-reliance on montage and like uh crescendo with imagery and sequences and like building everything to this big ending. And in Trance, it's just like mm-hmm. I I loved being overwhelmed by the style and just being like, I'm with it. This movie doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense. You could kind of break it apart and, and whatever, but it, it just felt like, Oh, he's trying to do that again here in transponding, but I don't think this movie called for it. And a lot of it hinges on not just something that spud does, but this, um, this character that is, uh, a love interest. New, new to the story. Yeah. 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 This love interest between, <laughs> just tacked on. It felt like with, with Renton's character, but also with sick boy, with the Johnny Lee Miller character. And man, I feel like there's not enough done with that character to justify her being such a pivotal thing in the end. Yeah. That it was, I I just, I got, I got frustrated with this movie when, as I'm walking to the theater to go see it, I'm like, I'm excited to go see a train spotting sequel. And um, maybe I built up my expectations, but um, yeah, for a director I like so much and Danny Boyle, he, his style can sometimes just be, it, it feels like it's a desperate mask for like uh, a lack of like strong material. And th- this is, this feels like one of them to me, you know? Yeah. I, I was thinking about uh, sequels lately. Um, just, just because, just, just because I knew this discussion was coming up <laughs> And because I rewatched the karate kid again recently, um, as I'm going <laughs> to do. And like that, that movie, I don't need to go into why I love it as much as I do, but like, it's also notable because it's sequels are really awful. Like mm. the sequels to the karate kid movies are like kind of strikingly bad to the point of like, I was wondering out loud to myself, I was like, is the best part of karate kid two? Not just the Peter Cetera song, but like the best part of it, the montage recap of the first one. Like, <laughs> is that the only good part of it? And like, it's, I started thinking about like the work is done in the original because it has to. It has to, it has to justify its place. So it has to have striking characters mm-hmm. and it has to have these moments that really like earn their place in the story and the dramatic thrust of everything. Whereas like in sequels, the sort of bad ones, they can you already know everybody involved so they can just coast on that and like it if it's a cheap moment they could just be a callback to the original to sort of hit that high of like what was achieved sort of kind of organically in the first one and so eventually you just walk away with a sort of like hodgepodge you know kind of like experience of like moments borrowed from the original and like, you know, at best, I think with this one, there's like sections that come to life 
And then just a sort of sense that you're like, I love these characters. It's just nice to be around them again, which I remember one of our coworkers at the film center had seen the new Die Hard movie when it came out, as I did as well. And her whole family had, you know, sort of like their tradition was going to see every new Die Hard movie. And so I was like, that was awful. That movie was awful. And she was she she didn't want the experience to be taken away from her that she had this good sort of tradition with her family. Mm-hmm. And so it was just like, no, I don't want to take that away from you either. But it like, that's, it's so weird that like that becomes your fondness for the original sort of becomes this like Instagram filter over your ability to criticize the new one. You know, mm-hmm. you're just like, just put like a sort of rosy hue on this. Cause I like these guys. I like you and McGregor. I love him and that character. I love that song. And then the, the buttoning moment of train spotting too is actually kind of evocative, you know? And like, and so you want to like it, you're rooting for it, but ultimately it doesn't justify itself. And it's not a story that demands to be told. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. the way like the anomaly of the before movies, they're not traditional sequels in any way, mm-hmm. but they're the example of sequels done exceptionally well. Yeah. You yeah. Know, where it's like they wouldn't make those movies if the story wasn't there. And so the story has to be there in order for them to go back and tell this story again. And it's just like, that needs to be, that needs to be the guiding light. I think of people insisting they come back and make a new movie, mm-hmm. you know, like the, the, the story's there. It's a like, really good comparison for train spotting the before movies. Yeah. Cause like they came out roughly within like a year of each other, the, the first before movie before sunrise and then train, you know, and they're, you know, they, they couldn't be further apart in terms of kineticism, but like it's, it's got like that sort of art house kind of that, that quality, you know, I mm-hmm. most likely saw them at the same theater in Eugene, Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, saw train spotting several times more than, uh, before sunrise only because like i was just like well that was fuck that was good that was a tough movie and so yeah so here we are we're older <laughs> and uh i kind of just want to watch the before movies again yeah and transpotting i i meant to see transpotting one before we we had this talk i, I didn't get to it but i'm still looking forward to revisiting it because it, it holds up like that's a nice. that's a great movie yeah I mean, in my memory, it, it still is a great movie. So I'm glad to hear that because, I, I mean, I imagine like zeitgeist movies like that can really, you know, wear down or like not seem as great or as special when you revisit them many years later. But mm-hmm. I think I think that one had the goods from the start. It's 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 uh, it's a great piece of work. Um, it, it, it it makes me think of like how kind of odd. I don't know if it's sad because neither of us were crazy about the sequel, but the general lack of enthusiasm for, for it in this country. It's, it's done really yeah. well in London. Uh, it's been open there for like a month or so. Um, and good. yeah, and that's expected, you know, and it's gonna, it's gonna, it was a massive hit there, uh, before it came to the U S uh, the first one was, uh, so yeah, that's good. But yeah, I, I, it's odd to be in this time that it's like, man, 20 years later, this like iconic, uh, movie from the nineties has a sequel and it's just, it's strange. It's just sort of an afterthought. It's, it's out. Um, it's in one theater here in yeah. Portland. I don't see it really expanding much else given the amount of people that were in the show I was at. So yeah, yeah. same here. Um, and it, it's just like, it's partially because like it, it's the loneliness of that moment of where we're at and what's sort of like being 
declared a theatrical release. And it's also because like, I mean, does this movie, does this movie demand to be seen? The first mm-hmm. one did, it was like a force to be reckoned with. And it was one that like over weeks, like people were like, you haven't seen it yet. You got to see it. Like you have to see it before it leaves. You know, like there was an urgency to it, which was the point. And maybe <laughs> this is the point he's going to it. Fuck our point, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I'm not too sad about it. Uh, I mean, I, 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 like I said, I wanted to love this movie. I was very excited for it, but it, it did sort of just wear me down after a while. And as much as I can love Danny Boyle's energetic style, and I, I do like the overall. I like his embrace of like real, like digital cinematography because this movie mm-hmm. is at times is like GoPro heavy, and it looks like some sections were shot on an iPhone, and like I'm. I'm not going to just, you know, knock that style, but, uh, I don't know too much, too much of it in this movie. And it really just felt like it cheapened the movie as well. Like you go back and watch the first train spotting and it's a beautiful film, you know? And, uh, I'm not opposed in theory to the idea of like really, you know, upping the digital or, you know, going full digital with this. Uh, but, um, yeah, there's some, there's some really like befuddling choices, I think with the camera work. So, Oh, well, you win some, you lose some, right? Right. <laughs> well, um, I don't know. Choose I, life. Choose life, exactly. Um, maybe don't choose T2 transpotting. Uh, but, yeah, uh, anything else you you want to throw out there? Should we, should we wrap this one up? No, I feel good. Yeah, I do, too. I do, too. We've expunged our feelings on this movie, so... Yeah, well, uh, uh, this is uh, episode 143 of Adjust Your Tracking, uh, brought to you by theplaylist.net. We're a part of the Playlist Podcast Network there. We thank them for for hosting our shows. We also want to thank our sponsor on these episodes, uh, Mubi, uh, yet another streaming service that's out there that uh, is big on curating titles. Um, so uh, that, that, that conversation, movies, and, and content that is playing on streaming services are probably going to continue to uh, seep into this podcast. So we... We just got to embrace it or we just got to, we got to be open to it, I guess. So, um, with all that said, I got to thank you, Joe, for talking with me today. Thanks, Eric. (laughs) 